What if you could study a frozen moment in time? What would you want to know? In Denver, Colorado, there's a lab where scientists collect frozen pieces of time. We can very clearly see when the Industrial Revolution happened. We can even look at lead concentrations and we can see when the Romans started smelting lead. We can see when we started using leaded gasoline. We can see when we banned leaded gasoline because the concentration of these lead particulates within the dust particles trapped in the ice vary. Um, and we have the ability to actually look at these incredibly trace molecules and determine these sorts of events. These scientists travel the world and they collect samples of ice, these frozen fossils of our environment that can show us how the Earth has changed over time. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we're going to the National Science Foundation Ice Core facility, where science peers into the depths of ice to tell us about our past and our future. That is after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. So my name is Richard Nunn. I'm the assistant curator at the National Science Foundation Ice Core Facility here in Lakewood, Colorado. In case you missed that, that is Richard Nunn, the curator of the National Science Foundation Ice Core Facility. And the thing that Richard curates is the ice. Lots and lots of ice. I maintain a database that tracks all 22,000 meters that we have, all of the like several hundred thousand individual pieces that have been cut over the years. I'm basically a glorified librarian, as my partner likes to call me. I'm her ice librarian because she actually does research on the cores. You might be thinking, what makes this particular ice so special? And the main reason that your freezer cubes are not going to cut it in Richard's ice library has to do with both where and when the ice comes from. Some of the ice in Richard's library is extremely old. 
Some of these cores that we've drilled date back to about 800,000 years ago. We can basically see how our climate has been warming and cooling as we go through these glacial and interglacial cycles over the last few hundred thousand years. And it's not so easy to get your hands on ice like that. The most common cores that we have in our collection are actually from Antarctica and Greenland. So they'll go out to the middle of an ice sheet somewhere that they've determined as a location of scientific interest. And then they will drill a cylinder of ice, uh, which can vary in diameter depending on the type of drill they use, uh, anywhere from just you know a few meters into the ice sheet or in some cases over two miles into the ice sheet, recovering it just a couple of meters at a time and then shipping it back to us. And then having drilled sometimes two miles into a glacier, they still have to ship that ice back to the ice core facility. So it's a pretty long process. You can imagine the logistics of shipping ice from Antarctica all the way to Colorado are pretty pretty uh, detailed. Uh, but short and sweet of it, after the ice is drilled in the field, they usually pack it into insulated boxes. And then those will get loaded onto an aircraft that flies them to a place called McMurdo. From McMurdo Station in Antarctica, the ice cores are loaded onto these specialized freezer trucks, and then those are driven onto container ships. And those actually have a backup power supply. They can keep it cooled to about minus 35 degrees. Uh, and they will actually put those containers onto a ship uh, in Antarctica that will then take them to a place called Port Wainimi out in California. From there, they're trucked to Denver. Where we then offload them and put them into our freezer. And when Richard says freezer, it's a mistake to think of the thing that's a part of your fridge. It's a bit bigger than that. It's something like 420,000 square feet. For size reference, that's seven football fields. (laughs) Yeah, the the pictures of it are pretty impressive. When you look down one of those aisles, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these silver tubes all stacked neatly onto a shelf. And that enormous freezer at the ice core facility, it's kept at minus 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And that enormous, vast, cold room, that is where Richard works. I tell you, Colorado doesn't make me cold anymore. So... Once the ice is there, it's organized, cataloged, and under Richard's care. That is until a scientist calls Richard up and says, hey, I need some of your ice for my research. Then he'll go find the right sample and bring it into his warmer exam room. And we'll run them through the saws to cut out whatever pieces we need uh, to go out for analysis. Basically, like we have several tables with uh, saws set up, band saws and chop saws that we've modified to work. Uh, at minus 24 degrees Celsius, which is about minus 10 Fahrenheit. That's right. The minus 10 degree room is the warm room. And so there at minus 10 degrees, Richard takes the long cylinders of ancient ice, ice older than writing and cities, ice that formed before humans left Africa, and uses a bandsaw to cut off a piece of it for a scientist to study. And of course, your hands get cold, and then you don't want to run your fingers through a bandsaw. So we're always very cautious about, you know, the safety of us as well as the safety of the ice. Even having done this for a long time and with a lot of gear, Richard still can't stay in the freezers for too, too long. Generally, I have I just put a coat on and then we have these big Carhartt jumpsuits uh, that I wear. Uh, and I usually have a couple of hats on. We also have these like really large Arctic boots. Usually the limiting factor for me is keeping my hands warm because a lot of what we're doing requires a fair amount of dexterity. So I can't wear those big Antarctic mittens. I have on just these thin little cloth gloves. Um, and so usually within about 20 or 30 minutes, especially if I'm touching the ice a lot, I have to go step out and warm my hands up for a couple of minutes and then get back to it. Luckily, when Richard steps out, he can go into an actually warm room 
one with snacks and, most importantly, hot beverages. Ice core scientists run on coffee, man. <laughs> um, yep, we've got our espresso machine. I'm a tea drinker myself, so um, I've got a nice little tea maker. And uh, hot cocoa, apple cider, those are always good things. And uh, and I tell you, when we're when we're actually in the freezer a lot for like, if we're doing a processing of ice, just came back and we're in there for days and days on end. Um, the Our little warm room where we go to warm up uh, has a little hand dryer for one thing that's my best friend in the world when my fingers are cold, but it will be filled with all kinds of goodies, you know, chocolate, cookies, muffins, fudge, whatever. Um, high caloric stuff that we can eat in order to keep ourselves warm. Um, I know when I'm working in there on a regular basis, my, my intake probably about doubles. I eat close to 4,000 calories a day. Just like a regular library is constantly adding new books, Richard and his colleagues are always adding new ice to their shelves. Their perspective is you can never have enough ice. But there is also an urgency to this collection. Yeah, these glaciers are melting fast enough that like we want to understand why they're melting faster, why that rate is accelerating. But as you can imagine, if one of these glaciers melts off into the ocean, then we lose the record that it stores. As the ice melts, along with it melts the information that it holds, the record of the planet's history, of what came before. We do have a few cores in our collection that were drilled on ice shelves that have since melted away. So that ice no longer exists. The only record of it is the handful of pieces that we have in our storage right now. Each sample from each location helps scientists piece together a picture of our world over time. Each glacier, each piece of ice, is a piece of the world's natural time capsule. The older the sample, the more profound the discoveries. If we could get an ice core sample that predates the actual ice age, that would tell us what the planet looked like in a very, very different time uh, of its climate existence. But all of the ice in the ice core facility still has secrets to share. New technology has let scientists learn new things from ice that was collected years ago, pulling ever smaller samples of gas from the ice they already have. We didn't have the technology to actually detect something that trace in these uh, in these ice cores. Uh, now that we're able to, people have gone back and looked at some of these older cores and actually managed to suss out how much ethane was in the atmosphere in the pre-industrial age and how much is in the atmosphere in post-industrial age and see that sort of level of human impact. Honestly, it's it's the best source of information we have to really show truly what impact humans are having on our climate and that what is happening is very much outside of the natural cycle of things. They are stored in the ice is a record of human history, the invention of the automobile, the Industrial Revolution, the Roman Empire, and of the world for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years before human civilization. It's a record of our world, our climate, and our impact on it. It's all there, waiting to be read in the Library of Ice. In non-COVID times, you can visit the National Science Foundation Ice Core Facility at least the non-frozen parts of it, and Richard will give you a brief presentation and show you one of the actual ice cores. No cold weather gear needed. For the moment, those visits are on pause, but Richard thinks they're going to restart soon. So keep an eye out. This episode was produced by Baudelaire Seuss. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes 
Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Sarah Wyman, Manolo Morales, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Peter Clowney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. And our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I will see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.